0: Listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church. Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We've got two scripture readings, one from Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 26 and then one from James chapter 3 verses 13 to 18. Let's hear God's word. kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also walk by the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another james chapter 3 verse 13 But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. This is God's word. Well, here at Trinity... Uh, We're coming to the end of a series of sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. If you haven't been with us for the series so far, in Galatians 5, just read from the Apostle Paul lists nine virtues, nine things that are to characterize Christians. And he refers to these nine virtues as the fruit of the Spirit. It's not an exhaustive list, that is to say, Paul's not suggesting that these are the only things that ought to characterize Christians in their character and their conducts. But nonetheless, it is a fairly extensive list and it reaches into all areas of our lives. And Paul wants us to be clear that in holding out these nine virtues to us, he is not saying that uh, these things will grow in your life if you just work hard enough at it. Uh, In the passage of Galatians 5, we just read, as well as in Paul's letter to the Galatians as a whole... He makes it clear that the only way we can grow in the fruit of the Spirit is by the Holy Spirit himself causing this fruit to grow in our lives. A person becomes a Christian when God, by his grace, brings us into what we might call a particular union with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself, he illustrated this Union that the Christian has with him in one of the Gospels. In John chapter 15, uh, Jesus refers to himself as the vine. And he refers to his people as the branches of the vine. A vine being the plant on which grapes grow. Uh, And one of the things that Jesus is teaching with that illustration is that he, as the vine, is the one in whom is life and vitality. The reason that grapes can grow on the branches of the vine is that the vine itself is alive. And because the life and the vitality of the vine flows through the plant to the branches connected to it, causing them to bear fruit. So Jesus says in John 15, verse 4, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. At this abiding or Remaining in Jesus, uh, like a branch of the vine abides in the vine, that is the union with Jesus, which we are brought into when the Holy Spirit works in our lives. The Holy Spirit connects us to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the life and vitality of the vine, when He brings us to the point of repentance and faith, when we repent of our sins and trust that the Lord Jesus Christ has been appointed by God to deal with our sins. Then, when we have been brought into this union with Christ, what begins to happen is that his life and his character begins to then flow into our lives, shaping our character, just as the life of a vine flows into the branches connected to it and causes the branches to bear fruit. One particular way in which the life and character of the Lord Jesus Christ shapes the life and character of his followers Paul says in Galatians 5, is that we begin to grow in gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul writes, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And right at the beginning, I want to suggest to you that your life and the lives of those around you would benefit greatly if you were to grow in gentleness. And so here's our subject gentleness. Here are our headings what it is, where we find it, and how we grow in it. What it is, where we find it, and how we grow in it. First of all, what it is. I wonder what you think of when you think of gentleness. I wonder who would come to mind if you were asked to name a person who is gentle. Uh, children who are filling out the service sheets, maybe you could write down something. What comes to mind when you think of gentleness? Or who comes to mind when you think of a person who is gentle? Uh, the same Greek word that Paul uses for gentleness in Galatians 5 is translated in other passages in our English Bibles as meekness. It seems of, often in our culture that uh, we tend to understand meekness Or gentleness really is a form of weakness. You don't get anywhere in life by being meek and gentle, we might think. That's not how you progress in your career, that's not how you impress the person you want to impress. To be meek and gentle is a sure way to be walked over in life, perhaps we think. It's a sign of weakness. Which couldn't be much further from the truth when it comes to how gentleness is defined in the Bible. Uh, When this word is used in the Bible, when the idea of gentleness is communicated in the Bible, it's not so much referring to weakness, but to strength. Gentleness, in biblical terms, refers to the way in which we are to use our strength in relation to other people. Gentleness is strength under control, under restraint. Now, uh, you might think that the idea of strength under control is not so much what what is in view with gentleness in this list of the fruit of the Spirit, but what's in view with what Paul lists after it: self-control. And there's definitely overlap between the two, as there's overlap between many, if not all, of these characteristics that Paul lists. But self-control, as we'll see next Sunday is more to do with holding back our desires when they need holding back. Gentleness, on the other hand, is not so much about holding ourselves back, but conducting ourselves in a certain gentle, controlled, calm manner towards others, even when we might be provoked to act differently. Uh, Scott Swain is an American theology professor who wrote an article on gentleness titled Masters of Self. And he gives a helpful example of a Doberman dog walking through the streets with his owner to illustrate this difference between self-control and gentleness. A Doberman uh, is a a majestic, strong, lean breed of dog dog. Uh, ...usually with a, a black and dark brown coat and pointy ears... ...that stand up when the dog is alerted to something or other. And Swain imagines a Doberman dog in, in two different situations... ...or two different, time, two different kinds of Doberman. And the first is the kind that you might see walking through the street... ...on the end of a lead, being held by its owner. But the dog is pulling and jumping and barking... ...the kind of sight that makes you think it's the dog walking the owner... ...not the owner walking the dog... And this Doberman has a muzzle over his mouth to ensure that it can't use its great strength to do harm to other dogs or passers-by. Well, in a way, that is a picture of self-control. We're self-controlled when we hold back desires that need to be held back, like the dog is held back by a lead and a muzzle so that we don't cause harm. But if we saw a different Doberman walking through the street with his owner and he wasn't agitated, no muzzle perhaps, even without a lead attached to his collar. And if we saw some excited young children come along and start stroking his coat and patting him and all the while he was calm and compliant, even though it seemed pretty clear that these young children were annoying him. Well, we would have before us then, in a sense, a picture of gentleness. The dog has been tamed and is trained. And so his strength, his great strength, is under control. Gentleness is not weakness, but strength when it's properly under control and used. Which is why gentleness is not unique to a certain personality type or to a certain person with a certain temperament but it's something that ought to be demonstrated by all personality types, people with all kinds of temperaments. And Paul, as well as other biblical writers, teaches us that gentleness, it has a particular relevance when it comes to situations in which we might find ourselves angered by something or someone. Because gentleness is often held out in the Bible as being what we need when the particular problem we face is one that angers us, one that causes us to desire vengeance or justice when we perceive injustice. We see this in Galatians 5, in the contrast that Paul draws out between the fruit of the Spirit and what he lists as the works of the flesh, in verses 19 to 21. In verses 19 to 21, several of the works of the flesh that Paul lists, uh, the concern how we relate in our personal relationships, uh, they could be categorized as Sinful or wrong expressions or wrong responses to the anger we each feel at different times and for different reasons. So, enmity, Paul lists, being in a personal war with others, strife, striving against other people, fits of anger, explosions of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, all of these things are wrong expressions of anger. They are each the misplaced desire for vengeance and justice in our personal relationships. And in each situation, our strength is not under control, but out of control. Gentleness is the virtue listed in the fruit of the Spirit as the opposite to these misplaced expressions of anger. Our strength is under control and we could be described as gentle when we respond to the anger and the frustration we feel not in an explosion of rage or by mentally making somebody else our enemy but in an even-tempered kind of way with a calmness and a patience that allows us to deal gently with the person we might be angered with. Uh, James, in the passage we read from James 3, points out in a similar way that gentleness or meekness is all about being controlled and calm in relation to others rather than allowing our frustrations to lead to things such as bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition. And when we're frustrated that somebody else has something we think we ought to have or is able to do something we think we ought to be able to do, and then one possible response to our frustration is to become bitter and jealous and strive harder for our own selfish gain. But the opposite to this, James implies, is the meekness of wisdom in verse 13. Wisdom that is peaceable and gentle in verse 17. Gentleness is strength under control, particularly in relation to other people when we're angered and frustrated. Even if we might have just cause to be angry. And that last part is important. Because it teaches us that to feel anger is not necessarily wrong. Paul is not highlighting in his contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit that becoming angry is something that only ought to be true of you before you become a Christian. And then once you become a Christian, you no longer ought to get angry. In fact, we realise that that can't be the case when we recognise what anger is. Uh, David Powlison is a a Christian counsellor who's written a book on how to deal with anger. And he explains that there's an important difference between what we might call forms or expressions of anger and the essence or the DNA of anger, what anger is. And we're all familiar with various forms or expressions of anger. Uh, David Powlison lists six of them. Irritability, being easily irritated arguing and being disagreeable, bitterness and harbouring anger for a long time, violence and inflicting pain, passive anger and self-righteous anger. We're familiar with all of those things, but none of those is the essence of anger. The essence of anger, the DNA of anger, David Pallison explains, is found in three things that each of these expressions has in common. Every time you and I are irritable, or argumentative, or bitter, or violent, and so on, these three things happen. First, we've identified something, or or, or someone, that we perceive to be wrong. Somebody who has wronged us, we think, or somebody, something who is, uh, something that is unjust. Second, having identified it, we're not indifferent to that perceived wrong, but instead we disapprove of it, we feel displeasure. And then third, we're then in some way moved to act, to say or do something about it. Or at least we ponder how we might one day act. That is a good summary of what anger is. And what Paul is teaching us in Galatians 5, what James teaches us in James 3, is that you grow as, a, as you grow sorry, as a Christian, you begin to deal with your anger differently. You begin to respond more and more in gentleness. That is to say, you obviously continue to notice when something is wrong, when somebody has wronged you, or when there's injustice of some sort. And you continue to disapprove of whatever wrong you come across. But when you get to stage three, when you're moved to act or consider acting in light of the wrong you perceive and are displeased by... You no longer want to act in such a way that makes you irritable or disagreeable or bitter. You no longer want to be violent or verbally aggressive, but instead you now find that you are more more, more and more inclined to respond gently to the person who has wronged you or in the situation in which there's been injustice. You don't fly off the handle, you're calm. You don't silently store up your rage and become bitter, you're forgiving. Even when something needs to be addressed, you're able more and more to address it in a gentle manner. You're not hot-headed, but even-tempered. Your strength, even when you're provoked, is under control. That is how we as Christians are called to deal with our anger. We're called to gentleness. In 2017, a film came out that was written by Martin McDonagh, starred... Woody Harrelson and Frances McDormand called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And in the film, almost every character fails to find a way to deal with their anger. It's understandable with some characters. The film's main character is a mother whose daughter was brutally murdered. And nobody is found and brought to justice over the crime. There's injustice. And the mother, of course, disapproves. And she sets about seeking vengeance for her daughter's murder. And her quest for vengeance results in arguments and fights. And as the story unfolds, more and more people find themselves in this same situation of not knowing how to deal with their anger. Everybody in the film, it seems, is out to get somebody else in a seemingly endless spiral of violence and destruction. Until one point in the film that changes things. Two rivals find themselves as inpatients on the same hospital ward. One of the patients had recently caused great harm to the other, but the one who had caused this harm was now in hospital in a full body cast, conscious but immobile in a hospital bed, unable to even move his arms. He was so covered in bandages and casts that the man whom he had harmed across the ward from him ...doesn't recognise him at first. But then he catches a glimpse of him from a certain angle... ...and he realises that this, this is the man who caused him such harm. And there he is, lying, incapacitated, just across the ward from him. It seems like just one more opportunity for violence... ...one more way in which one of these characters can seek vengeance... ...and try to find justice. But the victim in this scenario does something different. He walks over to his enemy... He picks up the glass of orange juice from his bedside table and he lifts it over to his enemy and puts the straw in his mouth for him to drink. It's a pivotal moment in the film. From this point on, the endless violence begins to have an end in sight and the outlook changes. And what changed everything was that one response of gentleness. Here was a man who had been wronged. And he was not indifferent to it, but instead of setting himself up for the next round of vengeance, he responded gently, peaceably. Even though he, in that moment, in a sense, possessed great strength, he possessed the power to inflict vengeance on his incapacitated enemy, even though he might think he was within his right to do so, having been harmed by him, he instead responded in gentleness. His strength was under control even when he was provoked, and it meant he could deal calmly, lovingly, gently. That is what we are called to as Christians. When we are wronged in our personal relationships, when we are let down, when we are disrespected, when we find ourselves rightly angered by wrong done to us and by injustice, gentleness ought to characterise our response. Well, you might think that's all well and good, but that's a really high bar. Where do we find this kind of gentleness? Well, secondly then, where do we find it? If you've been here for previous sermons in this series, then you're probably starting to realise now that each of these virtues Paul lists is becoming increasingly characteristic of the Christian first and foremost, before they're characteristic of us, characteristic of God. Gentleness is part of God's character. God is gentle. We see this in all kinds of ways through the Bible. King David refers to God's gentleness as being what established his kingdom in Psalm 18, which David wrote after God had rescued him from the king who preceded him, who'd been trying to kill him, King Saul. In Psalm 18 verse 35, David wrote, you have given me the shield of your salvation and the right... Your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. He recognised that God had dealt gently with him. God, in his anger, is totally in control. And he responds gently. Now just think about that. When you and I get angry, our anger is always mixed. It's never pure. When we perceive that somebody has wronged us, our perception is never perfect. We might over-exaggerate the situation or make it more personal than it is, even if it's true that we've been wronged. But God, in his perfect knowledge, perfectly perceives how he is wronged and how we do wrong to others. There's no hiding from his all-seeing, all-knowing eye. There's no way we can persuade him that actually he's misunderstood the situation and we're innocent. His perception is perfect. And his disapproval and displeasure at wrongdoing and injustice, it's never a result of his ego having been damaged as so often is, it is with our disapproval and displeasure. He's perfectly balanced. The scales of his justice are in no way biased. And yet as he perceives perfectly and as he disapproves faultlessly of the wrong done to him, he responds gently. He does not fly off the handle, nor does he withdraw in a sulk. He does not store up bitterness ready to dish out vengeance at an opportune time. He is even-tempered, he is calm, he is gentle. His strength is completely under control all of the time. And his strength is like the strength of no other. If he wanted to see to it that every wrong done against him was dealt with instantly and strictly, then he could. And we could have no complaint. Vengeance is always within his power. And yet he chooses to deal with us in gentleness. Each of the descriptions that James uses in James 3.17 to describe the meekness of wisdom, to describe gentleness, is a description of God's gentleness towards us. He is peaceable, full of mercy, impartial and sincere. He desires to be at peace with us, not war. He is merciful towards us in our sinfulness and in our weakness, even when he is rightly provoked by us. He is gentle. And we see how important gentleness is to God and how the two men he appoints to mediate between him and his people, Moses in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, are both characterized by gentleness. We read in Numbers 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Moses was the man appointed by God to lead his people as God's representative. What kind of man did God want in such an important role? Did he want a man who is characterized by great charisma, someone who is dynamic and gets things done, or someone with great skill and intelligence? No, he, he wanted a man of gentleness, the most gentle man who was alive. The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 11 beckons all of us in our wearied and burdened state to come to him as our mediator because he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is a man of gentleness. And in pointing to his gentleness as reason that wearied and burdened human beings like us should come to him, In doing that, he is assuring us he knows how to deal with frail, sinful people without crushing us. He's in control of his strength to such an extent that even when he's rightly angered by our sin, he is still able to deal gently with us. Matthew understood this about Jesus. He points out in the next chapter in Matthew 12 that Jesus is the embodiment of words that the prophet Isaiah spoke in the Old Testament when he looked forward to the day when God would send his servant to his people. And of that servant, Isaiah wrote, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. As Isaiah is saying, Matthew is saying, this is about Jesus, he's saying that as he goes about bringing justice, putting every wrong right, Jesus goes about his work gently. A bruised reed, the most fragile of plants, will not be broken in his hand. A flame that appears as though it's about to go out with just one puff of air will not be extinguished on his watch. That is the extent of his gentleness. Jesus, Dane Alden writes, does not throw his hands up in the air when he engages sinners. He is calm, tender, soothing, restrained. He deals with us gently. Christian brothers and sisters, however you have wronged God, however you have broken his law, Whatever sinful flaws are found within you. The Lord beckons you to come to him because he is gentle. Perhaps subconsciously you think that the Lord is irritated with you. That he just has a bone to pick with you and he's just waiting for the, the time that you come to him so that he can speak his mind. Friends, you need to recognise his supreme gentleness. However bruised you feel, however much of a crumpled mess you think you are, however faint your faith seems to you, you can be sure that with the Lord Jesus, your life, your faith, you yourself, are in the gentlest of hands. When you need to be corrected, he is able to do so gently. He will not crush you. He is not irritated with you. But instead he pities you. He is compassion. He has compassion for you in your weakness. He is gentleness itself. If that's what gentleness is, if that's where we find it, thirdly and briefly as we come to the end, how do we grow in it? If Paul, enlisting gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit, is expecting us to grow in gentleness as Christians, how do we grow in it? But to be as practical as possible, we need to know two things. Firstly, we need to know something about ourselves. And that is we need to know the particular ways in which our anger is provoked. Johannes Brenz was a German theologian who lived throughout the time of the Reformation in the 1500s. And he wrote about gentleness. This virtue has to be put into practice. Everyone must consider what kind of mind he has so that he can correct its faults. It is shameful to think that when we are tilling the fields, we want to know exactly what kind of ground we are dealing with in every field. But when we are cultivating ourselves, we do not notice what thoughts our minds are naturally inclined towards and so try to avoid doing anything wrong. He's saying that... We need to be attentive to the particular ways in which we each lack gentleness, so that we can start to cultivate gentleness, excuse me, in those areas of our lives. And so what causes us to feel angry? what are you irritated by, frustrated by, annoyed about? What do you tend to argue with people over? What causes you to lash out with your words? Paying attention to those questions will help us know where it is we need to grow in gentleness. But it may be, and it often is the case, that we are right to feel angry about certain things. We are not perfect. We do wrong to others and others do wrong to us. And so we not only need to know something about ourselves, but we need to know a second thing. We need to know something about God. We need to know that he will one day bring justice. No wrong will go unpunished in the end. Vengeance, in this sense, belongs to him. It is his responsibility to avenge every wrong that is done to his people and he will do it. And the only way we will grow in gentleness when we are wronged is if we apply this truth to the times when we are angered by wrongdoing and injustice and so that we are able to say to ourselves, I do not need to avenge this person, I do not need to put them right, It is not my responsibility to point out everything that is wrong in this situation because vengeance belongs to the Lord. And so I can leave it with him. And on my part, I can deal gently with the person in the wrong. That is the kind of gentleness we're after here in our personal relationships. Imagine knowing a handful of people characterised deeply by this virtue? Imagine a family characterised by gentleness. Imagine a church characterised by gentleness. May God help us all to grow in this way. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the connect page on our website trinitychester.church forward connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.